find yourself in danger when you're threatened by a stranger. When it looks like you will take a licking. <laughs> there is someone waiting who will hurry up and rescue you. Just call. The Johnson Wax Program with Fibber McGee and Molly. Johnson's Car New and Johnson's Self-Polishing Glow Coat present Bipper McGee and Molly, written by Don Quinn, with music by the King's Men and Billy Mills Orchestra. Our Miss Brooks, starring Eve Arden. Our Miss Brooks is an English teacher at Madison High School. She can tell you everything you need to know about the present and past subjunctive, but she's not at all sure about the future. That is, her romantic future with biology teacher Philip Boynton. You bet your life. Groucho Marx in You Bet Your Life, the comedy quiz series produced and transcribed from Hollywood. And here he is, the one, the only. Hey, that's me, Groucho Marx. Now here is your guide. Hey, are you listening? When you find yourself in danger, when you're threatened by a stranger, when it looks like you will take a licking, there is someone waiting who will hurry up and rescue you. Just call. The Johnson Wax Program with Fibber McGee and Molly. Johnson's Car New and Johnson's Self-Polishing Glow Coat present Bipper McGee and Molly, written by Don Quinn, with music by the King's Men and Billy Mills Orchestra. The Johnson Wax Program with Bipper McGee and Molly. The makers of Johnson's Wax Products for Home and Industry present Bipper McGee and Molly with Bill Thompson, Gail Gordon, Arthur Q. Bryan, and me, Harlow Wilcox. Script is by Don Quinn and Bill Leslie. Music by the King's Men and Billy Mills Orchestra. If one of your friends said to you, I keep house with wax, would you know what she meant? Well, if you went over her home room by room, I think you would. Because in every one of those rooms, from the front door through the kitchen, you'd find evidence of wax protection, wax polished beauty. You'd find mellow, shining floors that grow lovelier with every application of Johnson's Wax. Tabletops, radios, chair arms that gleam with wax protection that are so easy to keep clean and sparkling. Windowsills that'll laugh at winter weather. Picture frames, leather articles, kitchen equipment whose bright, richly polished appearance adds so greatly to the charm of your home. Yes, you'd find in every room evidence of regular applications of Johnson's Wax to all kinds of surfaces, protecting them, preserving them, adding beauty and length of life, and... Saving hours of housework. That's what we mean by protective housekeeping with Johnson's Wax. Believe me, it will pay you to try it. You'll find many special uses for all three forms of Johnson's Wax. Paste, liquid, and cream. Winter arrived in Wistful Vista today with a hey, nonny, nonny, and a shut that door. 
colder than a Russian veto. <laughs> and the snow is horn high to a tall steer. But at 79 Whistle Vista, all is cozy. In the fireplace, a big hunk of wood is crackling merrily. And on the Davenport, another big hunk is wisecracking merrily. As we meet Fibber McGee and Molly. Now listen to that wind outside, will you, kiddo? Pity the poor pedestrian on a night like this. Brutal weather, isn't it? Yep. My Adam's apple got frostbitten last night, and I woke up with laryngitis. Mm -hmm. You better stay inside, kiddo. It's snowing worse than ever. I hadn't seen the air so white since that cyclone hit the feather mattress factory. <laughs> and that wind. Strong, is it? Strong. Brother. Or sister. <laughs> I popped out to get the milk off the porch this morning, and when I pulled my head back in, my hair was braided like a hangman's rope. I couldn't even comb it. I had to unweave it. Cold, too, I imagine. Cold. I stuck my nose out to get the morning paper and yanked it back with a bird's eye label on it. <laughs> Oh, McGee. <clears throat> well, I'm certainly glad I don't have to go out tonight. Uh, this is the kind of storm that has polar bears looking for warm ice. <laughs> you said it. Personally, I would... Well, heavenly days. I wonder who that is. I don't know who he is, but I know what he is. <laughs> Come in, stupid. Hi, it's Dr. Gaines. Oh, hi, Doc. Hello. Nice day, if you're a penguin with a high metabolism. <sighs> My goodness, Doctor, isn't it a little risky to travel about in a storm like this? I haven't been out myself, but McGee says it's colder than a jury summons. That is the understatement of the month, my dear. It's some ugly talk downtown of lynching the weatherman. But I think cooler heads will prevail and they'll shoot him instead. <laughs> Incidentally, have you lost your voice, Molly, or are you just trying to keep this confidential? Well, now, uh, when I woke up this morning, uh, never I... Never mind, never mind, my dear. Let me look at your throat. They are. Ah. Don't worry about your gold inlay, Sophie. I'm watching him. <laughs> hmm. That doesn't look bad. Use a good gargle and stay in the house. Don't talk any more than you have to for a couple of days. And if you have to communicate with your husband, write him a note using small words and large print. All right, Doctor, I'll do that. I think I'll go upstairs now and gargle and let you boys talk. Good night, Doctor. Well, if it hasn't cleared up a little by morning, let me know. Good night. See you later, baby. Ah, there goes a good thing. What you got there, Stork Chaser? Postcard for you. It was left to Mrs. Jellifant by mistake. Oh, thanks, Bagwell. I'll bet old Mrs. Jellifant has memorized it and had photosets made to this one. Nosy, is she? Nosy? That old curtain switcher spends so much time spying on the neighbors, she's drawing FBI brows. <laughs> oh, come now, don't judge her too harshly, billiard head. Mrs. Jellifant was disappointed in love. No kidding? Yes. She married a man with $4 million and poor health. He lost it all in 1929, had to go to work, and now he'll live till he's 100. <laughs> Sad case. Well, I hope you appreciate my playing mailman in this blizzard. Yeah, that's awful nice of you, Doc. You know, I was just thinking, Doc, you must be getting old. You're starting to do nice things for people. <laughs> if that's a sign of advancing age, Hammerhead, you have discovered the fountain of youth. What's the postcard say? What do you mean, what does it say? You read it five times on the way over here and you know it. Of course I did. Well, there's pickup package at window five. What is that, a delayed Christmas gift? Not expecting you. How about your dear old Aunt Sarah? Hmm? The one you say has more money than General MacArthur has quotations. <laughs> no, she never sends us a Christmas present. You ever see a sailor tying his shoelaces? No, I don't believe so. Why? No, Aunt Sarah is tighter than his pants. <laughs> that old dame is about as open-handed as 12 o'clock. 
Oh, gosh, I wonder what that package is. Well, whatever it is, I hope it'll keep. Looks like this storm is going to last through August. Yeah, I better say it. I hope it's nothing to spoil. Such as what? Well, I don't know, but an old friend of mine that I and he used to be in vaudeville together with a song and dance act, McGee and Nittany, songs and witty things. We'd open in two with a grass mat and give my regards to Broadway, though neither one of us had ever been to Cleveland, east of Cleveland. <laughs> that one clear across the lake. But nobody knew that. He sent me some elderberry wine in the mail once. I, uh, won't... Fred Nittany. Oh, Fred Nittany, yeah. I won't try to go back and unravel that monologue, Joy Boy. How was the elderberry wine when you did get it? I don't know. There was an explosion in the post office the day it was due, and I was scared to go down and inquire about it. Well, I've got to get back to the hospital. This is just the kind of a night that thoughtless little babies decide to be born on. <laughs> okay, Ponchy. Turn your collar up good around your neck. Don't tell me you're getting solicitous about my health. Not at all. I just don't want passers-by to think we know anybody that needs a haircut that bad. <laughs> That's what I thought. Well, here I go. Into the wild white yonder. Good night. Good night, Doc. Boy, what a night. If it wasn't so far to the post office, I'd... Oh, don't be a chump, McGee. It ain't a fit night out for man to beast. Still, if that is a package for man, Sarah. Oh, don't be silly. She wouldn't give you the correct time. What are you scared of, McGee? A little wind? Okay, I'll go. Okay, here, put on your coat. Thanks. Here's your hat. Thanks. Hey, Molly, I'm going to the post office to pick up a package. If I ain't back in two hours, send my green necktie to Uncle Dennis.
on the corner 15 minutes ago. I haven't been so lost since I tried to find the men's lounge at the YWCA. <laughs> this has got me worried. I better stop at this house and ask where I am. What's the matter, dearie? Forget something? What? <laughs> Is this our house? Boy, I was just trying to find out where I was, Molly. I can't see 10 feet in this blizzard. I've been traveling in a circle. Well, how can you tell? I lost an overshoot ten minutes ago, and now I got it on again. <laughs> hey, don't stand in the doorway with that bad throat, kiddo. I'll be back in a little while, I hope. Take care now, dearie. Be to my left. But a streetcar just went by, and there's no streetcars on Oak Street. Hey, there's no streetcars in Wistful Vista. <laughs> just buses. No, maybe it's just a truck. Oh. Boy, am I winded. I gotta go in someplace and get warm. Wonder who you're Well, my gosh. Hi, Wimp, old man. You live here? Can I come in for a minute? Oh, hello, Mr. McGee. Say, do come in. Thanks. Oh, sure is a blizzard out there, Wimp. I haven't taken such a pushing around since I sold my tailor tie. Certainly is stormy, all right. In fact, I'm quite prepared about tea things. That's my big old wife. Really, then? Is she out in this storm, Wimp? Yeah. And I'm worried. Oh, well, take it easy, Wimp. I was out in it and nothing happened. That's what worries me, Mr. McGee. If you can do it, she can do it. Where'd she go? Skiing. Oh. Can I make you some hot coffee or something, Mr. McGee? I have a cheeky recipe for coffee wimple. What's coffee wimple? I mean, what's coffee wimple? Oh, just an idea I got one day while I was putting around the kitchen. Puttering, you mean? No, putting. Oh. I was trying to put a golf ball into a paper cup and I hit it too hot. Oh. Knocked a can of cocoa in the coffee pot, and when I tasted it, it was half cocoa and half coffee. Quite good, too. Oh, <laughs> well, that's nothing new, Wimp. That's what they call Russian chocolate. Mm-hmm. Well, if it disagrees with everybody the way it did with me, I can understand why you call it that. <laughs> Certainly is hard to get along with. <laughs> well, I hope I didn't disturb you with whatever you were doing tonight, Wimp. By the way, where'd your wife go to? She asked me where was a good place, and... I told her up on Harrigan's Hill. Harrigan's Hill? My gosh, Wimp, that's no place to ski. There's a 400-foot gravel foot. Uh, gravel pit at the bottom of it. <laughs> gravel foot at the bottom of it. <laughs> yes. I guess I wasn't the right one to ask, was I? Well, maybe somebody will probably warn her before she starts down. I suppose so. But I wish people would just mind their own darn business. <laughs> Well, I better get going or the post office will be closed. Good night, Liz. Thanks for letting me get warm. Good night, Mr. McGee.
Jungle Horse again. Can't even see a sign. All this snow. Hey, there's some letters on this window. See if I can make them out. C-H-I-L-I. Chili. <laughs> think that's funny? <laughs> Since then, I'd heave a rock through that window. Now, let me see. I'm getting numb. I'll duck inside this place. Like a warehouse or something. Hey, anybody here? Hey! Uh, there's something I can do. Oh, hello, pal. Wilcox, is this your office? Yes. What brought you out in this kind of weather? I'm going to the post office to pick up a package, Junior. Package of what? I don't know. Who's it from? I don't know that either. Well, what's so important about it? Trick me. <laughs> you don't know what it is or who it's from or why it was sent, but you'll risk your life to prowl around in this blizzard. Who's risking his life in a blizzard? I got a compass with me, haven't I? Oh, have you? Sure. Right here in my overcoat. Someplace. Well, here it is. See? Mm-hmm. Where'd you get that? I had that for years. I take it on all my hunting trips. Look, pal, that's not a magnetic compass. That's the kind of compass you draw circles with. <laughs> you know, a point on one leg and a pencil on the other. So what? It's always brought me where I wanted to go and took me back. Well, how in the world do you tell directions with it? Pull the prongs apart till they form a straight line. Point one of them due south, and the other leg will point north. <laughs> well, I must say that's very ingenious. By the way, where's Molly? I left her home. She's got a little laryngitis and shouldn't talk. So I had to get out of the house for a while because you know how gabby I am. Oh. I thought if I... Oh, excuse me. Sure, Julia. If a man if a man hangs up, don't answer. <laughs> <laughs> West for Vista Brand, Chavesti, Johnson & Son Incorporated, Racine, Wisconsin, makers of Johnson's Wax, Face, Liquid, and Cream, Wilcox speaking. Oh, hello, Cavanaugh. That's Cavanaugh, pal, one of our top salesmen. Oh, send him over to see me. I haven't had a top since I was a kid. <laughs> uh, hello, Cavanaugh, yes. Oh, uh, did you tell her that glow coat needs no rubbing or buffing? You did. Did you tell her it shines as it dries? It is. Well, look, Cavanaugh, just stress the fact that glow coat will help restore the light and color to her linoleum, and it'll be so much easier to keep clean. What? You did, and she bit you in the leg. Well, keep at it, Cavanaugh. Goodbye. Customer bites the salesman, Waxy? Oh, no, no. It was too stormy to call on people and too late, so he was rehearsing his sales talk on his box carrier. Why did the mutt bite him? Frustration, I guess. Oh. No fun packing up the kitchen linoleum if it's got glow coat on it. Oh. <laughs> well, now that you got that off your chest, Waxy, why don't you run along? What do you mean? Go away. You put in your pitch for pastry, and cream, so take a powder. I beg your pardon, this is my office. Huh? Oh, my gosh, I'm the one that's got to go this time. Well, thanks <laughs> for the hospitality, Junior. I'll see you later. Go on, pal. <laughs> closer together than Vandenberg in 1948. <laughs> I see a building nearby. I smell something cooking. It smells like coffee. Mm, garlic pickles. Must be a drugstore near here. Play the pinball machine for a while till I get warm. I wonder if I got a nickel. 
Another nickel, McGee, at a low rate of interest. Oh, hi, Olivia. No, thanks. I just stopped in here to get warm. Got to get down to the post office and pick up the package. A package of what? I don't know. I got a card from the post office that says pick up package at window five. Well, if you're going to the post office, McGee, you'd better saddle and mount. It closes in 14 minutes. Hey, by the way, you're the mayor of this town, Olivia. Why don't you call him up and tell him to wait for me? Sorry, McGee, I can't do it. Why not? Well, I'll try to explain. As mayor of this municipality, I have at my disposal certain packages, jobs to be awarded. Usually, I try my best to see that those jobs are capably filled, regardless of political affiliation. Sure, sure. Now, the postmaster of this city, one Tiffany H. Crud, has a nephew who is the mental equal of practically nobody. <laughs> Let us be charitable and say that this young man does not know an act from an oval. To call this specimen a jerk would be to vilify every soda dispenser in America. Sounds like a great kid, Lafayette. You going to adopt him? <laughs> the young man's uncle, Tiffany H. Crud, the postmaster, recently asked me to appoint this insufferable delinquent to a responsible position in the city's treasury office. Yeah, but what that's got to The reply about? I gave Mr. Crud fully explains why I cannot ask him to keep the post office open for you. So you'd better be on your way. You said, well, so long, Lafayette. Good night, to sing Winter Wonderland. Over the ground lies a blanket of white, a heaven of diamonds shines in the night. Two hearts are thrilled, spite of the chill in the weather. Lay down green, are you listening? In the lane, snow is listening. A wonderful sight, we're happy tonight.
post office is in this general neighborhood. Then there's a thousand times. How lost can a guy get? Uh-oh. Here comes the woman. Right. Hey, sis. Which way is the post office? Where you are, mister, it's due north. Oh, thanks. Uh, how far? Well, it's a rough guess, but I'd say about uh, 13 inches. Huh? Oh, my gosh, I'm standing right in front of it. Huh. Oh, thanks, sis. Oh, not at all, but you better hurry. It's closing time, and the clerk's a crabby old coot. He is, eh? Yeah, and I ought to know. He's my grandfather. Good night. Hot dog, that last. Hey, anybody on duty? Hey, are you still open? Hey, where is everybody? Press that bell in, Johnny. You're noisy enough to wake up the dead ladder office. <laughs> Hi, old-timer. You work here? Do I work here, the boy says. He's standing behind the counter, ink up to my elbows, green eyes stayed on, jeans rolled up, pen behind my ear, gold air mails in my hand, he asks me if I'm working here. No, Johnny, I'm a traveling music chaser for the government. Just stopped in to lick a few special deliveries. That's stuck him up the place there. <laughs> Look, old-timer, I got a notice from this post office that there's a package here for me. You see? Here's the pack. Hey, this card says Window 5. Oh, what? I don't work at Window 5. I work at Window 3. Airmail. Sorry, boy. Good night. Hey, hey, come back here. Look, you lantern-jawed old fossil. You uncivil civil service man. If you think I battled my way down here through four foot of snow to get the brush off from you, you're off your onions. Now, give me that package, or I'll slap you in a sack and airmail you to Washington, D.C. No, 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 not that, Johnny, not that. I'll get your package. Got any idea what it was? I don't even know who it's from. Now, let me take a look around here, Mike. <laughs> hey, you want to see my staff collection? No, I don't. I just want to get my package and go home. Well, you can be looking at my staff collection while I look for your package. Here they are. Keep your eyes on those, boy. You mean, is this your stamp collection? Yep. I had one ever since I was a kid. <laughs> Finally started it this week. Got some beauties there, ain't I? Look at this one here. This one says, Fragile. This one says, This side up. Look at this one. Use no hook. <laughs> it's got a body from the handles, and I'll have the prettiest stamp collection in town. <laughs> Very impressive. Now, how about my package? Yeah, get it right here, Johnny. Stand for down this line. Yeah, that's it. Hey, you gonna unwrap it here? You're doggone tootin' I am. Listen, after all the torture and hardships I've been through to satisfy my curiosity about this package, I certainly am going to... Well, if that isn't the dirtiest... What a... Slog my way through three miles of blizzard for what? Throw that thing back in the bin, Gramps. I'll be back for it in April. What is it, Johnny? Look at it. Spring seed catalog. Oh, this is seen dull, faded linoleum change right before your eyes, bright, sparkling linoleum? 
No, there's no catch in it. That's exactly what happens when you use Johnson's self-polishing glow coat. There's no rubbing or buffing and very little work on your part. Yet in 20 minutes, while you wait, this remarkable wax floor polish makes old floors shine like new. Keeps new floors always beautiful. All you do is apply glow coat and let it dry. As it dries, Johnson's glow coat shines to a smooth, long-lasting polish. Try it on your printed and inlaid linoleum and linoleum rugs, too. See the gleaming beauty it gives you. At the same time, protecting them from dirt and wear. With glow coat protection, still things wipe up in no time. Muddy footsteps and dirt can be wiped up instantly, leaving the colors fresh and bright as ever. Try it, won't you? But for a really bright shine, be sure to ask for the real thing. Johnson self-polishing glow coat. decision to make, our Miss Brooks, who teaches English at Madison High School, finally made it. So after five years of practically going steady with Philip Boynton, last week she finally gave the green light to other men. Yes, last week I gave them the green light, and since then they've acted as though my street is under repairs. (laughs) However, I did meet a salesman named Freddie Stewart, and when a girl has spent five years being taken to a hot dog stand for dinner a movie, and then a soda fountain afterward, anything would seem like a change. So Wednesday night, I went out with Freddie, and the evening seemed most enjoyable. The hot dogs were delicious. (laughs) The movie, great, and the double malteds were out of this world. But of far greater interest than my latest acquaintance was my landlady's new heartthrob. For the past two weeks, Mrs. Davis had been trying to conceal her little romance and I had been trying to conceal my curiosity. By breakfast time Thursday, I could no longer bear the suspense. But before I could ask her about it, Mrs. Davis posed a question of her own. I suppose you've been wondering where I've been spending my evenings in the last few weeks. The question did cross my mind. Well, dear, I've been going with the most wonderful man. Oh, Connie, he's so worldly, so suave, so debonair, so romantic. 
Who is he, Mrs. Davis? Henry, our butcher. Our butcher? Yes, that's the man who's been dating me. And I have further news for you. Now hold on to your seat, dear. I'm even thinking of marrying him. Well, that's one way of being sure of the choice cuts. <laughs> Mrs. Davis, you're not serious. Oh, but I am, Connie. Henry Pringle seems just right for me in every way. But, Mrs. Davis, this seems incredible. Who is he? What do you know about him? Where did you meet him? I met him over the phone about three weeks ago. <laughs> you met him over the phone? That's right. I was calling in my order to Schmidt's butcher shop the way I generally do, and Henry answered it. But how did you finally meet him in person, Mrs. Davis? Well, four days after that first call, Henry appeared at our house in the afternoon with a large box tied with a wide red ribbon. He brought you some flowers? No, dear. Our pot roast for that night. <laughs> well, he asked me for a date, and from then on, we started going together steadily. As you know, I've been out almost every other night. And last night, he popped the question. Well, I'm glad you didn't pop the answer. <laughs> Mrs. Davis, you know I want you to be happy more than anything else in the world, but you've gone with Henry such a short time. After all, what do you really know about him? What has he told you about himself? Well, dear, he's a bachelor, been in town a month, and he's Mr. Schmidt's partner. But do any of your friends know him? And why hasn't he ever come over to the house to meet me? Well, I suggested it, Connie, but Henry is very bashful. However, he was going to meet you up to the time I told him you taught English at Madison High. That's when he backed out. <laughs> well, I won't hold that against him. That's when most men back out. <laughs> anyway, dear, you'll meet him tonight. I invited him to dinner, and I told him I'd give him my answer then. Mrs. Davis, not so soon. Oh, that must be Walter to drive me to school. Be out in a minute, Walter. Look, Mrs. Davis, I have to leave now, but please think this over for at least another week. Wait until you know a little more about Henry. I've already thought it over, Connie. And now that I've made up my mind, I can hardly wait to change my name to Pringle. Oh, well, that's all right, Mrs. Davis. Then you agree with me. Certainly. Change your name to whatever you like, only don't marry Henry until you know him better. Gosh, Miss Brooks, you haven't said a word since you got in the car. It isn't my driving that's bothering you, is it? No, Walter, I'm worried about something else today. Oh, well, I wouldn't worry about that, Miss Brooks. I mean, what can you expect when last night was the first date you had with him? What? Walter, how did you know I had a date last night? Well, uh, Harriet and I saw you in the balcony of the Bijou last night. Hey, what'd you think of Beat the Devil, Miss Brooks? Oh, my date wasn't that bad. <laughs> oh, you mean the picture. I thought Humphrey Bogart was fine. But I'm not thinking about myself, Walter. This concerns someone else. Well, you're certainly not worried about Mrs. Davis's romance, are you? And you know about that, too. How did you find out about that? Yeah, I was also up in the balcony with Harriet the night before. <laughs> you went to the same movie with Harriet two nights in a row? And tonight I'm going back alone and see the picture. <laughs> but the other night you saw Mrs. Davis up there with someone, hmm? 
Boy, was she with someone, Miss Brooks. Ooh, la-la. Walter, I can't say I care for that ooh, and even less for those la-las. Oh, well, I didn't mean any disrespect, Miss Brooks, but Mrs. Davis and this old fellow certainly did seem to be enjoying each other's company. Oh, honestly, Harriet and I thought we'd pop the way they were popping popcorn into each other's mouth. <laughs> Cute. Well, that's exactly what's worrying me. She's thinking seriously of popping popcorn into her friend's mouth for the rest of her life. Well, you mean marrying the guy? Oh, but that's wonderful, Miss Brooks. Wonderful? Well, certainly. Oh, what could be more romantic than two lonely old people in the autumn of their lives who find the warm glow of companionship and thus walk hand in hand into the setting sun together. Followed by two men from a collection agency and the sheriff. (laughs) Walter, Mrs. Davis has known this man for a little over two weeks. What does she really know about him? About his background, his finances? Well, but Mrs. Davis is a mature woman, Miss Brooks. She ought to know what she's doing. Not in this case. But since we're practically on the school grounds, Walter, we'd better drop the subject for the time being. Oh, sure. Oh, say, isn't that Harriet and old Marblehead? Yeah. Uh, Mr. Conklin out in front of the school? Why, so it is. I wonder what our principal's doing outside school. Well, maybe he figures that gives him more room to pounce on it. But apparently there's something terribly wrong today Why, Miss Brooks? He's smiling (laughs) Yeah I wonder who he expelled (laughs) Well, well, well It seems we're all arriving about the same time this morning Good morning, Miss Brooks Good morning, sir Morning, Harriet. Good morning, Miss Brooks. How are you this morning, Denton? Oh, fine, sir. Simply fine. Uh, Want to drive to the back lot with me, Harriet? Oh, I'd like to, Walter, but, well, you know how Daddy feels about the two of us. Go now. right ahead, my dear. Now, really, Mr. Conklin, I must protest against the constant injustice of never permitting your daughter to accompany me on so simple a journey. Ah! <laughs> did, did you say go right ahead? Now take that souped-up flying saucer out of here before I change my mind. Oh, yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yeah, hop in, Harry. Okay. Oh, thanks, Daddy. I don't know what it is, but that boy always leaves me boiling. I can't remember when I've been in such a good humor. I can't either. That is... You certainly did seem in a fine humor this morning, sir. And well, I might be, too. We had some very good news at our house last night. It concerns my wife's sister, Mildred. You've heard me mention her, the single one who comes to our house and stays for months at a time. You mean she's finally getting married? No, that's just it. She's not. But how is that good news, sir? Well, we were suspicious of the fellow right from the beginning. From everything Mildred told us about him, he only seemed to be interested in her for her money. He did? So I began to do a little private investigating and found the fellow had once been a confidence man and had landed in jail twice. Mildred wouldn't believe me, but luckily when I phoned him and confronted him with the evidence, he told me to stop worrying that he'd found a new sucker anyway. Uh, Mr. Conklin, hadn't you ever met this man before? No, no, that was one of the things that first roused my suspicions. He never would come over to the house to meet us. I think I'm beginning to feel a little faint. Then how did you know where to call? Oh, that was easy. 
I knew his name and how Mildred had met him, so I simply called Schmidt's butcher shop where he worked. Mr. Conklin, will you excuse me for a few moments? Why, what are you going to do, Miss Brooks? First, I'm going to make a quick phone call, and then I'm going to become a vegetarian. (laughs) Well, I'd heard of older people arriving at the age of indiscretion before. However, not only did my landlady arrive, but I think she intends to spend the rest of her life there. When I finally reached her on the phone just before noon, the results of our conversation practically floored me. She refused to believe a word of what Mr. Conklin had said about Henry. Naturally, I had to discuss my problem with someone, so over our lunch table in the cafeteria a little while later, Mr. Boynton was elected. His quick, incisive mind instantly grasped the problem, and his first crystal clear statement went right to the heart of it. Boy, I'd sure hate to be in Mrs. Davis' place. (laughs) Oh, you'd be too tall for Henry anyway. uh, Yes, it is a mess, isn't it? Particularly since Mrs. Davis is giving Henry her decision to marry him tonight. Well, now, let me get this straight, Miss Brooks. You say you called Mrs. Davis and gave her the information Mr. Conklin gave you? Yes, I told her Mr. Conklin said that Henry was a confidence man, had been in jail twice, and had told him he didn't care about Conklin's sister-in-law anymore because he'd found another sucker. And exactly what was Mrs. Davis' reaction? She asked me what else was new. (laughs) That seems incredible. Was that all she said? Well, not entirely. Oh, I didn't think so. She also said to be sure to pick up a can of vegetable soup on the way home this afternoon. (laughs) But, Miss Brooks, didn't you ask her why she wasn't concerned with what you told her? Of course I did. And Mrs. Davis claimed that Mr. Conklin was spreading the story because he was angry that Henry hadn't married Mildred. Oh, then she knew about the episode. Yes, it seems Henry had already covered himself on that score. He told her that she might hear some wild stories about him because he'd been seeing Mildred. And when he had met Mrs. Davis, he gave her up. Gosh, then what will happen to Mrs. Davis? Will she learn the real truth in time? Listen again tomorrow to another thrilling episode. (laughs) Margaret faces life. (laughs) But I'm really worried, Mr. Boynton. There must be some way to bring her to her senses. I wish I could help. Uh, Sometimes when I'm faced with a vexing problem, I find a solution by observing how my frogs and rabbits react under similar circumstances. (laughs) It won't work here. Very few frogs and rabbits consider marrying confidence men. Well, that isn't quite... Oh, there were only some way to convince her that people don't marry so hastily, at least until they've looked into the other person's background. If anyone else were doing the same thing, I know Mrs. Davis would condemn it. Miss Brooks, wait. I think you've got something. Well, after all these years, it's about time you... (laughs) Oh, you mean I've given you an idea. Oh. I'll say you did. Uh, Now, tell me, how was your new date last night? Next time I have a secret, I'll hire a (laughs) skywriter. Freddy Stewart is a very nice chap, Mr. Barton. Very nice. Well, I'm glad you like him, Miss Brooks, because that's part of my idea. What is your idea, Mr. Boynton? That you contemplate marrying him. What? Five years I'm going with the same man, and when he finally does propose, it's that I marry somebody else. (laughs) No, you don't understand. I don't mean actually contemplate marrying him. I mean just give Mrs. Davis the impression you're going to marry him after only one date. Don't you get it, Miss Brooks? Yes, but I'm not sure I want it. (laughs) I feel certain it'll work. 
When Mrs. Davis thinks that someone she cares about is doing something hastily, she may reconsider her own position. Then you can suggest she test out Henry tonight. Well, since we haven't any time to lose, it's at least worth a try. Of course it is. All right, then. Right after school, I'll dash down to the five and ten cent store. Five and ten cent store? What for? If I'm thinking of getting married, the least thing I'm entitled to is an engagement ring. (laughs) Andre? No, it's me, Mrs. Davis. (laughs) I know. Come in, Mrs. Davis. My home early this afternoon, dear. But why are you packing? I'm not really packing, Mrs. Davis. Just throwing a few things into my valise. I'll be back in a few days. But, Connie, why didn't you tell me you were taking a trip? Well, this one came up suddenly, and it seemed so insignificant it was hardly worth mentioning. Why not, Connie? I'm getting married. Well, Connie, even an insignificant trip like that is worth telling me about since... You're getting married. (laughs) Connie... When did you decide to do that? About an hour ago, during a lull in the conversation. (laughs) We're getting married this evening. Well, I think it's simply wonderful, dear. Huh? (laughs) Of course, it's what we both dreamed about all these years, that someday Mr. Boynton would propose. Oh, I'm not marrying Mr. Boynton. It's Freddie Stewart. Freddie Stewart? Freddie Stewart asked you to marry him, and you accepted? Certainly. I didn't have anything else planned for this weekend, did I? (laughs) He asked you an hour ago, and you're getting married tonight? Yes, Freddie said he doesn't believe in long engagements. (laughs) But, Connie, marriage is the most important step of your life. You have a whole lifetime to live together. It takes months to get to know a man properly. Oh, now, Mrs. Davis. I will admit, if you hadn't gotten the idea first, I might not have accepted so readily. Well, Connie, maybe I was wrong. Maybe we're both being a little hasty. I tell you what, dear. If you tell Freddie you want a little time to reconsider, I'll put Henry to the acid test tonight. The acid test? I didn't mean for you to disfigure him for life. (laughs) No. No, what I meant was this. Since you think he's chasing me because I own this house and have a little money, I'll prove to you that you're wrong. How? Well, we'll simply reverse positions. You'll be the owner of this house. And what's more, I'll pretend to be your servant. If Henry still wants to marry me then, that should convince us both of his integrity, shouldn't it? Well, Connie, what do you say? What am I paying you good money for, Maggie? Get back in the kitchen and start dinner. How do I look? Oh, like the perfect maid, Mrs. Davis. You did a swell job on that dress in You'd such like a hurry. To see her. I just sewed a little lace on an old black dress I found in the attic. But I'm afraid I cut it a little short. My knees haven't felt this drafty since 1926. <laughs> oh, this must be Henry now. You better go inside and give me a few minutes alone with him before you announce dinner. All right, You must be Henry Pringle. Yes, my dear, Henry Pringle. And uh, you must be Miss Brooks. Ah, I've heard so much about you. Believe me, my dear, 
There isn't a morning when my little sweetheart phones in a meat order that your name doesn't come up. I know. I go well with Cab's brains. <laughs> but won't you come in, Mr. Pringle? Just Henry. Well, come in, just Henry. <laughs> walk right in. Thank you, thank you. Margaret's already told me a good deal about the two of you. Yes, we're about ready to enter the sacred state of matrimony. Where is my little girl, Miss Brooks? I've uh, brought her a little something. Oh, how nice. A box of candy. <laughs> what are they? Caramel? Nougats or chocolate covered cream? They're meatballs. <laughs> how delicious. Chocolate covered meatballs. Well, everyone brings his fiancé candy, Miss Brooks. I've always felt it's more personal to bring one's lady love delicacies from one's own business. It's lucky you're not a bricklayer. <laughs> well, it's a pleasure to welcome you here, Henry. I feel as if I almost know you already. And I feel the same way. Margaret told me so much about you, how you taught school and everything. She told you I taught school? You're not a school teacher? Oh, gracious, no. That's only for people who have to earn a living. Or is the word scratch for a living? <laughs> My, that Margaret certainly has a vivid imagination. Next, I suppose, she'll be telling you she owns this house. She doesn't own this house? Oh, now, really? Does a servant ever own her mistress's house? She's your servant? Henry, am I coming through clearly? <laughs> but, uh... She never told me anything about that. Well, let's go into the living room and wait for her. Only please watch those scatter rugs. Yeah, I, I simply can't believe Margaret's your servant. Ah, here's Maggie now. Dinner is served, Mum. Oh. <laughs> I warned you about those scatter rugs. Here, let me help you up. No, no, no. I I'll be all right. I... Look what Henry brought you, Maggie. A box of meatballs. Oh, Henry, you shouldn't have. You can say that again. Uh, Margaret, uh, is all this true? Are you really Miss Brooks' servant? Am I permitted to talk to my friend, Mom? Permission granted, but keep it within ten words, Maggie. We don't want dinner to get cold, do we? Well, that's right, Henry, dear. Miss Brooks is my employer. Then... Then all about owning this house, your little nest egg, none of it's true? Oh, that part about the nest egg is true. It is? Yes, indeed. Maggie found it in a tree in back two weeks ago. <laughs> it ought to hatch any day now. Now, I know you both want to get started with your dinner as soon as possible, so go right ahead into the kitchen, Henry, and sit down. Into the kitchen? Yes, don't bump your head on the ironing board. <laughs> That way, the sooner Maggie can serve me my dinner, the sooner you can get at the leftovers. Well, let's, let's have no more talk now, right, Maggie? Come in, Henry. Uh, just a moment, Margaret. I, uh, I'm not very hungry. Uh, frankly, I never expected all this. Uh, I'm sorry if I exaggerated a little, dear. A little? This isn't your house? No nest egg? You're Miss Brooks' servant? But it really doesn't make any difference, does it? As long as we have each other. Well, frankly, I, uh... It doesn't make any difference, does it, Henry? You said last night, regardless of what, love would find a way. And right now, it's looking awfully hard. 
Well, uh, Margaret, to be perfectly honest, I... 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 Ay, ay, ay. I'll take it. Walter, what are you doing here? You're not due to pick me up for 12 hours yet. Well, I was passing in my car, so I thought I'd drop off some books I borrowed from you. Thanks, and bye. Oh, hi, Mrs. Davis. Hey, what are you all dressed up for? Going to a masquerade? (laughs) No, Walter, I'm not going to a masquerade. No masquerade? No, but you're going to a funeral. Well, Maybe that's a very clever costume. Hey, if I didn't know you owned this place, I'd swear you were a maid. Walter, blow. Have I overstayed my welcome already, Miss Brooks? On this earth, by about 16 years. <laughs> Some people sure have their moods. Well, good night, everyone. Now, Margaret... Perhaps you'll tell me the reason for this little game you've been playing. I'm sorry, Henry, but I wanted to find out if you really love me. If you would love me if I had nothing in the world. Oh, could you doubt it for a minute, Margaret, little girl? (laughs) Could you, Margaret, child? Margaret, baby? Once more, and she won't even be born yet. I was a fool, Henry. Can you forgive me? Please try to find it in your heart to forgive me for ever doubting you. It will be difficult. But he'll make it. (laughs) Believe me, Henry, I've learned my lesson. Nothing more will ever come between us. Except the doorbell. I'll get it. Good evening, Miss Brooke. Am I on time? What are you doing here this time of night, sir? And with a valise? Ah, Margaret, darling, I see I am in time. Osgood, what are you doing here? What am I doing here? And who has a better right to be here than your husband? (laughs) My own husband. My husband? Certainly. Aren't you going to kiss me, sugar plum? (laughs) Well, if she doesn't, I am. Certainly lucky you got here when you did, Osgood Davis. Osgood Davis? Margaret, you mean you're really married to this guy? Henry, of course I'm not. There's not a word of truth in it. This man is an imposter. There, I won't argue, but he is your husband. (laughs) Henry, you don't believe this, do you? I don't know what to believe anymore. But I'm certainly not taking any chances. Attaboy! Not after being mixed up like this three times before. What? Then you're not a bachelor. Margaret, girl, I haven't been a bachelor since I ran away from junior high with my French teacher. (laughs) If he said English, I'd have screamed. (laughs) So if you'll excuse me, I'm getting out of here. Oh. Oh, dear, oh, dear, this is terrible, it's terrible. Then Henry really is the sort of man you told me he was, Connie. With a number of embellishments I had no idea of. But Osgood, how did you happen to come over tonight? Well, when Boynton told me this afternoon of the tragic mistake you were about to make, Margaret, I knew I had to do something to prevent it. Particularly when he said you wouldn't believe a word of what I told Miss Brooks. But how did you think of this husband role, Mr. Conklin? Well, that was just a shot in the dark, Miss Brooks. Well... (laughs) Luckily, everything worked out fine, and I believe I have an idea how we can prevent this sort of thing from happening again. How, dear? From now on, I'll do the ordering by phone.
Ladies and gentlemen, the secret word tonight is room. R-O-O-M. Really? You bet your life! The more than 3,000 DeSoto Plymouth dealers of America present Groucho Marx in You Bet Your Life, the comedy quiz series produced and transcribed from Hollywood. And here he is, the one, the only... That's me, Groucho Marx. Well, here I am again tonight with one of our couples might take $6,000 away from me. George, that's a lot of money. An all-time record for your bet your life. Now, Mr. Fenneman, who's first to try for the $6,000? We invited some people from the Coast Guard to the show tonight, and also some daughters of the Army. And just before we went on the air, our studio audience selected Miss Nancy Dunn and Yeoman Jean Scarcliffe. And here they are. Folks, meet Groucho Marx. Welcome, youngsters, for the DeSoto Plymouth dealers. Say the secret word and divide $100. It's a common word, something you'll find around the house. Uh, you're Nancy Dunn. Uh, you're an Army daughter? Yes. Mm, I didn't know the Army had any daughters. <laughs> Those new secret weapons, I suppose. Huh? <laughs> Where are you from, Nance? Uh, I was born in Fort Bragg, North Carolina. And uh, you, uh, you're from the Coast Guard? Uh... Yes, Jean uh, Scarlett, huh? Yes. Where are you from, Jean? Los Angeles. Uh-huh. How, how old are you? Twenty-three. Twenty, and, uh, why are you twenty-three? <laughs> well, you don't know why you're twenty-three? <laughs> Couldn't you say that it was because you were born twenty-three years ago? <laughs> I hope you're more alike when you're on the coast looking for ships. <laughs> Uh, are, you, are you married, uh, Jean? No. You know, you answered that pretty quick. <laughs> You're uh, an army daughter? Yes. Mm-hmm. Just what is an army daughter? It's a daughter of an army officer that was born and raised in the army. I see. In other words, you've been in the army since your early infantry, is that right? <laughs> jokes, jokes like that will bring back the cavalry. <laughs> what does your father do in the army, Nancy? Uh, What's his rank? He's a colonel. Oh, he doesn't do anything, huh? <laughs> Where's your old man stationed? He... <laughs> what happened? Did he get his pants stuck on a nail? <laughs> well, what does he do there? Uh, he's a post commander, and he's the district commander of the Southern California Military District. Uh, are you married, Nancy? No, I'm not. You're not married. Why not? Aren't there any young men in the Army? Oh, there are lots of them. I just haven't found the right one. You haven't found the right one, huh? Where are you stationed, Gene? Coast Guard Recruiting Station in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. And what do you do there, mostly? Recruiting. Really? That's odd, isn't it? He's at a recruiting station and does recruiting. <laughs> Tell me something about the Coast Guard. Is it a branch of the Navy? No, it's uh, under the Secretary of the Treasury. Well, that's a nice warm place to be in times like that. How is it you run the Secretary of the Treasury? Don't sailors belong in the Navy? No, well, the Coast Guard was founded in 1790. That's Who found it? Uh, Alexander Hamilton. Oh. Well, that floored me, all right. I always thought that was a shoe company. And uh, why don't sailors belong in the Navy? Well, the Coast Guard... Hamilton wouldn't know anything about it nowadays. 
the Coast Guard was formed before there was a Navy. It was originally the Revenue Cutter Service. I see. Well, I think we'd all be interested, Nancy, to hear the difference between being brought up in the Army and being brought up as a civilian. Could you uh, give us some idea? Well, uh, when you live on a post, your life is more or less regulated by bugle calls. You live on a post, you say? (laughs) It's rather uncomfortable, isn't it? How do you mean your life is regulated by a bugle call? Oh, the bugle uh, gets you up in the morning and feeds you and puts you to bed at night and more or less runs your life in between. That's quite a remarkable bugle, isn't it? (laughs) If you ever meet one of those bugles single, my advice is marry it, Nancy. (laughs) How about your private life in the Army? Do you ever go out with second lieutenants? Oh, yes. Do you also go out with officers? (laughs) A second lieutenant is an officer and is supposed to be a gentleman. (laughs) Wasn't that way at Gettysburg. Now, how long have you been in that uniform, Jean? Four years. Has anything exciting happened to you in the service? Not while I was actually on active duty. (laughs) Well, I understand that, but what happened (laughs) when you were on inactive duty? Well, apparently that's where most of the warfare is in the Coast Guard. When I was in New York Christmas shopping once, I went to a department store. You were Christmas shopping in New York while you were in the Coast Guard? Yes. That's a pretty cushy job you've got. How come? Well, you I... wound up in Saks Fifth Avenue. No, I didn't go there. <laughs> Where'd you go? The Army and Navy store? <laughs> Where were you shopping, Gene? Macy's. Macy's. <laughs> Upstairs or down? Uh, Downstairs. And what happened? Well, I went into another store, and when I was coming out, well, they had a revolving door, and I dropped my packages in the middle of it, and... While I was picking him up, well, some big lady came in the other way, and I went out in the sidewalks on my hands and knees, and there's a police officer there. He thought I was drunk. He was going to arrest me. Well, let's find out something about the Coast Guard, Gene. What's the, what's the job of that branch of the service? Well, we're known as the police force of the sea. Our main function is to protect life and property at sea and ashore. Mm-hmm. Well, suppose I'm out yachting between here and Catalina, and I'm having trouble now. What would you do? Well, we'd go out and bring you back. You're a big help. The trouble I'm having is with a blonde, and the trouble is she's heading for shore. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're a very attractive couple, and Nancy, if I call to ask you for a date, I'll call Jean first, just to make sure the coast is clear. <laughs> now, uh... Let's see how well you work together as a team. You just one minute, you're going to play your bet your life for a chance at the $6,000 question. But first, here's something of interest to everyone. Folks, one of the most important things you look for in a new car is real, honest-to-goodness comfort. Well, you can stop looking right now. Because you'll find that the new 1951 DeSoto is the most comfortable car on the road today. For when you slip behind the wheel of this proud new car, you'll be sitting on comfortable chair-high seats that give you a good, clear view of the road, and more real leg room and head and hat room as well. And when you get the new DeSoto actually on the highway, you'll feel DeSoto's new advanced design Auroflow shock absorbers go to work. No matter what kind of highway you're on, 
from a gentle rolling road to one with plenty of bumps and holes, you will enjoy the comfort that comes from a really smooth ride. Yes, these are a few of the reasons why we say no other car rides like the beautiful new 1951 DeSoto. And, of course, it's DeSoto that lets you drive without shifting. So, folks, see the new DeSoto. Buy the new DeSoto. No other car rides like a DeSoto. All right, now let's see if you two will get a chance at the $6,000. Uh, Mr. Fenneman, would yes. you explain the rules? Uh, you bet as much of your $20 as you want on each of four questions. And the couple that earns the most money gets a chance at the DeSoto Plymouth $6,000 question at the end of the show. Here we go. Let's see how high I can build you $20. You selected stars of motion pictures. Here's your first question. How much will you try? Fifteen. Fifteen? Who plays the aging Broadway star in the picture All About Eve? Betty Davis. Betty Davis is right. You're off to a good start. You have $35. Remember, you're going for $6,000 tonight. Now, how much of the 35 are you going to try? Thirty-four. Thirty-four. Who is the male star of Harvey? James Stewart. James Stewart is right. You have $69. $69. Here's your third question. How much of the 69? 68. 68. What singing star is the lead in Mr. Music? Bing Crosby. Bing Crosby. Climbed to $137. You know, I'm quite offended at that answer. I was in that picture, too, you know. <laughs> what did you say? I sang a little with Bing, yes. I drowned him out. <laughs> That's why the picture did so well. How much have they got? $137. All right, now here's your last chance to beat the other... Next time anybody asks you about Mr. Music, just say that I was the singing star. <laughs> you, uh, how much are you going to bet of your $137? All of it. All of it. What comedian played the lead and watched the baby? Uh, Red Skelton. Red Skelton is right. <laughs> and you wind up with a grand total of $274. Thanks and good luck from the DeSoto Plymouth dealers. Just before we went on the air, our studio audience selected a man from a pet shop, Mr. Phil Blanchard. His partner is a housewife from our audience, Mrs. Leah Ray Ross. Folks... Meet Groucho Marx. Welcome to your Bet Your Life. Say the secret word and divide $100. It's a common word, something you'll find around the house. You're from a pet store? Where are you from, uh, Mr. Blanchard? I'm from Grand Rapids, Michigan. Uh -huh. The furniture capital of the world. Furniture capital of the world. Uh -huh. Is that the capital of Michigan? At, no. Well, what's yes. the regular capital of Michigan? Lansing. Lansing, yes. <laughs> I know, because I was once operated, and that's what they did. They, <laughs> they did a lot of Lansing, and... Uh, I'm sorry I started the whole thing. And, uh, how long since you left uh, Grand Rapids? Thirteen years ago. Thirteen years ago. And, uh, what does your husband do, Mrs. Uh, Ross? He merchandises women's dresses. And do you allow that? <laughs> brings in money. Uh -huh. Does it bring in your husband? No. Do you have any hobbies? Oh, yes. How I do give... you spend your spare time? I give all my spare time to the Red Cross. Well, I can't think of a more important way to spend your spare time. What do you do for the Red Cross? Oh, we, uh, in case of disaster, we help. We drive the um, bloodmobiles, and we get women to uh, help in the volunteer work in collecting funds. Well, what other kind of jobs are there for Red Cross volunteers? Oh, there are gray ladies and... Uh, gray ladies? Mm-hmm. What does a gray lady do, take care of Confederate soldiers? 
know, she goes into hospitals and reads to the uh, boys and uh, writes letters for them, entertains them. This may be bold of me, but wouldn't the boys find it even more entertaining if she mixed up a few blondes and redheads with the gray ladies? Oh, well, there are gray ladies who are blondes and, br- and redheads. Isn't science wonderful? <laughs> are there many volunteers working for the Red Cross these days? Yes, but we can always use more, and we can use more blood donors. Mm-hmm. I wonder if the American people realize the importance of the work you're doing. We need more women like you, uh, Mrs. Ross. What is the name of your pet store, uh, Mr. Blanchett? Uh, Beverly Pet Shop, 448 uh, North Beverly Drive, Crestview, 50820. <laughs> and if the St. Bernard answers, hang up. <laughs> what kind of pets do you sell in your store? No, cats, dogs, fish. Birds. Well, what do you feed your different pets? Oh, we feed the uh, cats, cat food, and dogs, dog food, <laughs> fish, fish food. So you get logical answers from these people. <laughs> Anything unusual ever happen in your pet shop, uh, like your customers giving you the bird? Oh, well, we have uh, had a biology teacher come in and uh, ask for a female mouse that was with mouse. And, uh, the mouse was with mice? <laughs> and, uh, definitely. <laughs> and what happened? Jokingly, I stated that uh, if the uh, if mother had any babies before the uh, sale was completed, that uh, it would cost him 25 cents for each additional mouse. Before I could complete the sale, why, the mouse had uh, her first baby. And he laughed quite quite a bit, and uh, laid down a quarter. And with that, four more came along. Boom, boom, boom. So before the, before the uh, man left, he had 18 mice. Good thing he didn't come in to buy an elephant. He'd have known immediately. <laughs> I've always wondered about pet stores. Why do you always put puppies in the, in the window? Well, they have uh, the most appeal. I'm sure I can think of something that would have more appeal than that. Ever been down to the beach, Mr. (laughs) Then you know what I'm talking about. I understand. You put a live whale in your window, old boy, and I guarantee it. (laughs) Fooled you, didn't I, eh? You thought I was going to say an octopus. (laughs) Well, you make a very interesting couple. And if I want a pet, I'll be sure to keep out of your store. Now, let's see how well you work together as a team. You're going to play, you bet your life, for a chance at $6,000. I can't tell you how much our first couple won, but Fenneman's offstage remind our listeners. The Coast Guardsman and the Colonel's daughter won $274. Here we go. Let's see how high I can build you $20. You selected, name the fruit. How much are you going to bet? We'll bet half of it. Half of it. That means you're going to bet 10 That's right. What kind of fruit is a Valencia? Orange. An orange is right. And you're on your way. You have $30. Good thing we didn't have the Coast Guard boy. He'd have probably <laughs> said a, a naval orange. Now, remember, you're going for $6,000 tonight. Now, how much of the $30 are you going to bet? Do you want to bet half of that? $25. $25. Over your partners. Fine. <laughs> 25 What kind of fruit is a conquered? A grape. Grape is right. <laughs> now, you're flying to $55. Here's your third question. How much of the 55 are you going to bet? Let's make it 50 Fifty. Fifty. What kind of fruit is a bellflower? Apple. An apple. You now have one hundred and five dollars. Is your last chance to beat the other couples? How much of the hundred and five you're going to bet? All of it. All of it. What kind of fruit is a green gauge? Plum. A plum is right. 
will wind up with $210. Thanks, and good luck from the DeSoto Plymouth dealers. If you're in the market for a used car, remember this. The place you buy it is your best assurance of getting a real value. That's why it will pay you to get your used car from a DeSoto Plymouth dealer. Here's where you can buy with confidence. From a reliable and respected business organization that's proud to be a part of your community. Rest assured that the used car you buy from a DeSoto Plymouth dealer, regardless of its make or model, is a good car. Because he has modern equipment and scientific reconditioning, a DeSoto Plymouth dealer is able to offer you really excellent values in used cars. That's why at a DeSoto Plymouth dealer's, you're certain to find the used car that best fills your needs and best fits your pocketbook. And you'll be amazed at the low prices, the easy terms. So if it's a used car you're after, remember, get it from a dealer you know you can trust. For a fair and square deal every time, get your used car from a DeSoto Plymouth dealer. Groucho, we asked for married couples with unusual occupations who were present tonight. And just before we went on the air, our studio audience selected Mr. and Mrs. Hal Linker. And here they are. Folks, come on in here and meet Groucho Marx. Welcome to the DeSoto Plymouth Dealer. Say the secret word and you win $100 in cash. It's a common word, something you find around the house. Mr. and Mrs. Hal Linker. Linker, eh? Mr. Linker, you certainly have an attractive wife. Thank you. Don't thank me. I have nothing to do with it. <laughs> where, are you, where are you from, Hal? Well, I'm from Washington Heights in New York City. Oh. Why did you come out here? Well, I came out here to make a career of lecturing. Of lecturing? Yes. I see. And, and Mrs. Linker, that's you, I suppose, huh? Yes. What is your hometown? Hapnar Firdir. Well, Gesundheit. Now then, uh, <laughs> I, I asked you, where are you from? Hapnar Firdir. Still the same old place, eh? <laughs> I gave you a chance to change. <laughs> now, how do you spell Hapnar uh, Firdir? Uh, <laughs> H-A-F-N-A-R-F-J-O-R-D-U-R. Are you sure you're not reading the eye test at the Department of Motor Vehicles? <laughs> now, just what is Hafner Schwilderer? It's a suburb of Reykjavik. Oh, well, you should have said so in the first one. <laughs> now, where is... Uh, what was that you said? It's a suburb of Reykjavik. Yeah, well, where is Reykjavik? It's the capital of Iceland. Oh, you're from Iceland, eh? Uh -huh. then, then you must be cold. Here, let me rub your hands. <laughs> Dad, you notice any difference? Oh, my hands are still the same. <laughs> I'm not talking about your hands. Mine are red hot. <laughs> I can't keep calling you Mrs. Linker. Uh, what's your full name? Hatla Gwilmund Stokter Linker. Is that on the riller arm? <laughs> Would you mind spelling the whole thing out? Uh, oh, it's a little bit long. Well, we have plenty of time tonight. H-A-L-L-A, <laughs> my first name, and then Goodman's doctor, G-U-D-M-U-N-D-S-D-O-T-T-I-R. Uh, by the time you get through with that, the train is left and you're probably around Kansas City. <laughs> 
Well, before you married Hal, what was your maiden name, uh, Hadler? Hadler Goodmansdottir. Hadler Goodman's daughter? Mm-hmm. Was, was your father named Goodman's daughter, too? No, my father's name was uh, Goodman Thordarson. You see, in Iceland, the uh, children, they got their uh, last name from the father's first name by adding son and uh, or daughter to it. The father's first name. Let me rub your hands again, man. Huh? <laughs> Now, let's see if I get this straight. If I were in Iceland, my little daughter, Melinda, would actually be known as Melinda Groucho's daughter. Is that right? That's right. You're a fine name for a kid to carry all through life. <laughs> well, I like her better the way she is. Melinda and Hasenfeffer. <laughs> Hal, you were chosen for your unusual occupation. Uh, just what is it? I'm an illustrated lecturer. You're illustrated? You mean you're tattooed? <laughs> no, I show motion pictures and I lecture while they're running. Well, wouldn't it be safer if you were running while the lecture was going on? <laughs> well, they're really quite interesting. They're color films of various parts of the world, and people find them very entertaining and very instructive. I imagine they are. Now, Hadler, what's your occupation? I help my husband. What do you do, sell popcorn in the lobby? <laughs> no, I act as a secretary to him. I cheer him up and travel with him. Make sure that he doesn't forget appointments. Does uh, Hadler really do all that for you? Uh... She's my girl Friday. <laughs> Hadler, what are you doing Saturday? <laughs> Hadler, uh, where did you meet your husband? Did you meet him in Hanfosjardesh? Uh, <laughs> Melinda's daughter? <laughs> no, I met him in the Gildaskallen restaurant in, Ice- in Reykjavik. Oh, well, I didn't know that. Eh? Would you break this down? Uh, how did you meet Hadler? Well, I was in Iceland making my newest motion picture, and a mutual friend of ours introduced us in this restaurant, and I asked her if she'd like to be in the movie. You say you asked her if she wanted to be in the movies, and that broke the ice, eh? Yeah. I've tried that same line a hundred times. <laughs> Maybe I should go to Iceland. It doesn't seem to work at RKO. <laughs> uh, Hal, getting back to your lecture racket, uh, tell me, what are some of the places you visited? Oh, I've been to many places in the world, Tokyo, Hong Kong... Canton, Bangkok, Rangoon, Singapore, Paris, London, Rome, Copenhagen. Well, you've certainly covered the, all the spots, haven't you? You've mentioned every place in the world and a couple that are out of this world. Hadler, <laughs> can you think of any place that he might have skipped? Well, he didn't mention Hadlerfjordus. <laughs> <laughs> no, he didn't, and we're all very grateful to him, too. Well, it's nice meeting you two uh, from Iceland, and as the sun slowly sinks in the west, we leave this beautiful conversation. <laughs> now, let's see how well you make out in the battle for the $6,000. You run your $20 in the more than our other couples, and you'll get a chance at the big question. I can't tell you how much they won, but George Fenneman is offstage to remind our listeners. The Coast Guardsman and the Colonel's daughter are still ahead with $274. Now, here we go. Let's see how high I can build you $20. You selected Name the Profession. <clears throat> Here's your first question. How much will you bet? Fifteen. Fifteen. dollars. Okay. What does an astronomer study? The stars. The stars is right. <laughs> On the way, you have thirty-five dollars. Remember, you're going for six thousand dollars tonight. Now, how much of the thirty-five are you going to try? Thirty. Thirty. What does a zoologist study? Animal life. Animals, Animals is right. <laughs> you now have sixty-five dollars. Here's your third question. How much of the sixty-five are you going to go for? Let's try 60. $60. What does a zeismologist study? A zeismologist. Insects. 
Talk it over now. Mm. Would you pronounce it again? S-E-I-Z-M-O-L-O-G-I-S-T. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> My stupidity. Yeah? Earthquakes is right. Huh? <laughs> now, how do you pronounce it? Seismologist, I Seismologist. believe. Seismologist. You now have $125. Here's your last chance to beat the other couples. How much of the $125 are you going to go for? Let's try $120. $120. Okay. What does an archaeologist study? Ancient uh, history. He studies the remains of ancient oh, civilizations. That's true enough. Ancient things is right. Which means... Which means you wind up with $245. And that means the Coast Guardsman and the Colonel's daughter with $274. Get the chance at the DeSoto Plymouth $6,000 question. Mm. Now, uh, I'll ask them the big question in just one minute. But first, George, I want to have a serious talk with you. Fenneman, what do you know about your DeSoto Plymouth dealer? Well, Groucho, I know that he has a beautiful showroom. He has... uh... Did you know that every DeSoto Plymouth dealer really tries to do his best for a customer? Well, I was going to say Groucho. You were going uh... to say Groucho. Why weren't you (laughs) going to say that DeSoto Plymouth dealers are interested in seeing folks... Treated fairly and squarely. And in addition, Groucho... I never was very good at addition. Now, look, Fenneman, I've been all over the country, and that's the way DeSoto Plymouth dealers are. Friendly, fair, and square. So, no matter why you come in, whether it's to buy a new car, a used car, or a simple repair job, the best place to go... Is to a DeSoto Plymouth dealer. (laughs) You're so right. Now, let's get on with the big question. All right. Here's the Coast Guardman and the Colonel's daughter, the winning couple, all ready for the DeSoto Plymouth $6,000 question. Well, if you win $6,000 here tonight, you can buy Macy's. <laughs> and you can buy yourself a general, Nancy. Is that, isn't that right, Nancy? Yes. See what a memory I have, eh? All right, here we go for $6,000. I'll give you 15 seconds to decide on a single answer between you. Think carefully, and of course, no help from the audience. Here it is. William H. Bonney was shot and killed by Sheriff Pat Garrett. Who was William H. Bonney? A famous outlaw. <laughs> What is the answer you two have decided upon? Billy the Kid. Billy the Kid. Well, Sailor Boy, that was wonderful. Which one had the answer, huh? You did, huh? What are you going to do with all that money? Oh, goodness. Buy a new army, huh? What are you going to do with all that money, Nancy? Help support this one. Buy some more bonds with some of it. Well, that's a wonderful way to spend the money. And what are you going to do, kid? Well, I think I'll split it up with some of the fellows up the office and keep the rest to send my little kid's sisters to college. Well, that's wonderful. Let's see. Let's see. Now, you uh, you won $6,000 in the quiz, and plus how much in the quiz? Uh, $274. Six, uh, $6,247. $74. $74. You really cleaned up tonight. Congratulations. From the more than 3,000 DeSoto Plymouth dealers from coast to coast, you bet your life. Thank you.
sure to tune in again next Wednesday night at this time for the Groucho Marx Show, when the big question will be worth $1,000. And don't miss Groucho's television show, also presented by the DeSoto Plymouth Dealers of America. And remember, all dealers who sell DeSoto also sell Plymouth. Two great cars, both products of the Chrysler Corporation. And when you drive in, tell them Groucho sent you. Good night, folks, and remember... Just be sure to visit your DeSoto Plymouth dealer. Folks, here's a reminder from the National Safety Council. There's no trick to safety. It's just common sense. You bet your life. Transcribed from Hollywood is produced by John Goodell. Directed by Robert Dwan and Bernie Smith. Music by Jerry Fielding. This is George Fenneman signing off for the more than 3,000 DeSoto Plymouth dealers from coast to coast.